I'm so excited for you guys to be online. That's always a motivating thing. Uh, so welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. If you don't know what my name is, my name is uh, Chris Plegenpole. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, just so glad you're joining us as we're in to a fun new subject and sermon series called Politics and Jesus. All right, and uh, in the past, you've been told that these two don't mix, and I'm here to tell you that they do, and it's going to be an awesome experience uh, for everybody. And one of the things I want us to kind of wrap our heads around is that it's okay to ask questions, all right? So if you have a question at all, we would love for you to participate with us. Text me, and then I have a what's called Pastor Plex podcast. I will be answering your questions this week, and uh, we'll be posting it this week on social media. You'll see it. So super pumped about that. Now, uh, one of the things that we know about um, this season, all right, so have you guys, did you guys watch debates? Anybody? Any debate watchers? Okay, yeah. Call Almost everybody, or just like somewhere like, I'm not watching another one of those. Right? Uh, and the reason is because it feels like everything has become political, and everything has become politicized. Uh, and so, uh, whether you're talking about masks, or whether you're talking about social distancing, or whether you're talking about the economy, everything is political, which is good news for Christians because Christianity is inherently political. To which everyone's like, what? Well, if Jesus is king, then Christianity is political, right? And we uh, are uh, representatives, we are ambassadors of the king. And so that becomes, it inherently makes everything we do is political. But it can feel like, listen, I'm working for Jesus as king, but I'm in a country where it doesn't feel like Jesus is king. Anybody ever feel like that? And so that's the reality that we're faced with. We're faced uh, living in a place where we have a theocratic nature where God, where Jesus is king, but we live in man-made institutions that God has called us to submit to. How does that work? And there's a part of us that feels there's so much anger and so much vitriol and so much frustration. It feels like what I would like to do is just say goodbye to the political process. I don't need to be politically active. I don't need to be civically active for that matter. I, I, listen, I know there, there's just this reality that it can't be, there has to be some separation here, right? And so... Um, Let's, let's think about this. We pray this. I don't know if you guys know this is a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It says, uh, your kingdom come, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're supposed to have God's will be acting here on earth as in heaven, does that mean we take a back seat or we get out of the way and we just go like, well, God's just going to do something. We're just waiting. And we're not going to participate. We're not going to be involved. And there's this reality that sort of feels like that because the last time you tried to talk about politics with somebody, it ended up in what? A frustrating fight or just a venting session of how much big idiots those people on the other side are, right? And that can't be what Jesus meant by loving one another. So I want us to get into that this morning. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about probably three reasons. There's more reasons. Here's three reasons that I don't want to like to be involved in or be civically active uh, for that matter, is we don't like the leadership, right? You've seen that leader. You're like, I'm not doing, he ain't my president. And you've said that about for the past however many presidents we've had. All right, and then secondly, uh, or rather with that first thing, that we don't like the leadership. And so what happens is, have you guys ever been at a job where you didn't like the leadership? And it wasn't like that you were actively trying to take the place down, 
but you weren't exactly helping it out either. And if your boss went down, you're like, wasn't my fault. And you just sort of step forward and you were grateful and the whole world felt better to you. Am I right? That's not how, listen, that one shouldn't be how you do it at your company, right? And two, it shouldn't be how you do it at your country, all right? Those, we sort of like a deconstructionist mindset that we need to rip, blow the whole thing apart because we want to, we want to wish doom and gloom on everybody, okay? Secondly, we don't link the good of our city with our good, right? And I think that kind of fits into that. We, the good of the company, the good of the country, we don't link our good with their good. Because we'd say, listen, I'm not, that's not my president. That's not my thing. That's not my country. It's not my politics, not my party. I'm completely separate. But perhaps God has placed you where you are for a specific person so that your influence might be for their good. Okay. And then finally, uh, I think probably the biggest issue we face is we're subscribed to the wrong feed. We've got news feeds from Rachel Maddow to Rush Limbaugh, and it kind of creates a political firestorm where people can get so much angst and so much anger, and then you forget what God's Word says to not do those things. And then they might even be preaching some sort of doom or gloom. If you don't, then I'm promising this is what's going to happen, as if they know. And so this morning, I want us to get to a place where we are looking at who Jesus has called us to be specifically. So that when it comes to politics, we put Jesus prominent. That's my heart. So we're going to be in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29er. 29, Jeremiah chapter 29. And would you guys pray with me as we ask God to open up his word to us so that we might be a beacon in the dark, a hope for those who are hopeless. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you are doing some amazing things in our country. In spite of the chaos, in spite of a lot of the frustration and anger, in spite of a lot of um, darkness that we've seen so clearly, God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient and your power would be made perfect and we'd be able to watch you work in a unique way. Would you hide me behind the cross? Would I, as I speak, as I proclaim your message of truth, would um, it be of you and not of me? Would I uh, step behind my own political viewpoints and let the cross come forward and shine so brightly that God, I pray that this church might be a conscience of a nation as opposed to a tool of a political party. I thank you for that, God. We worship you for that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, Jeremiah 29. All right, uh, just in case you were wondering, Jeremiah is a prophet. And here's what's strange about this prophet, which you're like, I don't even know that Jeremiah is a prophet, so I don't think there'd be strange to be out. Okay, hang on. So back in the day, it's called 2,700 years ago, uh, the people of Judah were living their happy, fine lives until one day a Babylonian empire led by Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, marched on through, ransacked the city, and grouped up all of the people of Jerusalem, all that could travel. They probably left a few really 
Invalid people said, eh, it ain't worth taking you. And then they brought all of the people and they gave them a certain sector of the city in Babylon. Said, you guys will now live here. Thank you very much. To which nobody was really thrilled about that. All right, you could take modern day Israel, okay? Modern day Israel, Iraq comes storming over by and says, hey, um, we're going to take all you guys prisoner, we're going to ransack your city, bomb it to, uh, to turn it to glass, and then all you people are going to now live in Babylon, Iraq. Same sort of feeling then as it is now, all right? So if you can kind of ma imagine the political climates, it made everyone very upset and very angry. And the prophet Jeremiah, okay, he was not exactly a popular prophet. He had been exiled to Egypt. Nobody would kill him because they're like, ah, that would probably cause up too much political consternation. We don't want that. That might give him more of a voice. So they'd exile him, and he came back. He started saying that Bab Babylon was going to take over. They put him in jail. Babylon does take over. Like, we like you. Where would you like to live? And the fact they said, in fact, you stay here. Well, you're a good guy. And so all of a sudden, he's like, don't call me a good guy. I just work for the Lord. But he's hanging back in Jerusalem, writing a letter to all those he told Babylon would take over. And you'd be like, a, it might be like a victory letter, like, told you. All that time you put me in the, in the basement, in the black hole. Yeah, I'm out now. Where are you guys? In Babylon, like I said you'd be, what's up? Now, he doesn't do that. Although that's probably what I would do, uh, and I probably have a lot of sanctification to go. But rather, he writes a letter of encouragement and hope to a people that were facing, like, their whole world ending. Because these are patriots. They may not have been American, but they were Jewish patriots who, they bled Jewishness. They loved being a Jew. They loved temple worship. They loved all the things. Now, granted, they had a little idolatry mixed in there, but, you know, who's perfect, right? And all of a sudden, they find themselves stuck, and they are needing encouragement. They're needing to kind of know what to do. And here's what Jeremiah writes. So these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right. Verse 3 then says this, and I think this is so cool. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah. I know that all of you are writing those names down for your next son. Uh, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now this is important. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is what God says. This is God's word. The God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. To which you're like, huh. Now, a lot of times we give God credit for a lot of great things. Remember when you got the house and you said this, look what God did for us. We got the house. It's so amazing. It's or, or when the job came through, look what God did. Oh my God, this is so amazing. The job came through. Not very often you go like, now nah, the job didn't come through. Praise God. This is just a blessing. This is just God looking out for my good. I know I'm probably too proud right now to get the job. And I need some humbling action. So thank you, Jesus, for that waiting time. I'm just so grateful. Or like in general, nobody gets excited about that. But I want you to hear this. The people... Uh, of 
Israel, the Jewish nation, God sent his people into captivity for their own good. And, you know, listen, you got to notice, notice how Jeremiah doesn't say, or the Bible doesn't say, the Lord of hosts doesn't say to all the exiles who accidentally ended up in Babylon, my bad. Their being in Babylon was intentional. God sent them there. Now, did you know that God has assigned every person a specific dwelling place and a specific season of time to live there? Did you know that's from Acts 17? Like you are where you are on purpose. Everything that God does is intentional. And that can kind of freak you out because you're like, if this is intentional, then I'm sort of upset because you stuck me in this marriage or in this lifestyle and this, this sort of thing. And why am I? Then we get into existential crisis. Like, why am I even here? Right? So what happens is that God placed you where you're at for your own good and not only that, for his glory. And so what was going on is that this was a discipline thing for the nation of Judah. They love God most of the time, except when they didn't. And they had, they had gone into full-blown idolatry at places where they were worshiping other gods made of wood and stone. Now, of course, we are so above that, right? Because we would never worship other gods. But we do when we worship money or we worship material things or we worship our favorite sports team. And you still care about baseball and the fact the World Series is tied to two games. Pretty amazing. Uh, like there's this reality, like you get so wrapped up in whatever the thing is, but it isn't God. Now, th- th- that's, why, that's why I want you to make the connection that we are, we're not exactly Judah sent into specific, we're not in America's punishment, all right? You guys, you guys know that, right? But we are, you know, Peter, in, in his uh, letter to the Christian church, he, three times in uh, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 1.17, and 1 Peter 2.11, he calls all of us exiles, kind of going back to this moment where he's saying, listen, you are all exiles. And he's referring to this 70-year period while the people were in Babylon, where your, your home is not here. But you're here for 70, maybe 80 years, where you are representing heaven on earth. But for the, for the nation of um, Judah, it was kind of like sending my kids to their room. All right? I don't know if you guys ever do this, right? So, uh, in fact, this weekend on uh, Saturday, uh, Jet and Titus, so Jet's five, Titus is three, they were playing outside, and Jet has this snake that he loves to scare Titus with. And it's a stuffed animal snake. So in Jet's, in all fairness to Jet, he shouldn't be scared, but he is. And then when Titus tries to take the snake and kill the snake, Titus receives a right cross. Bam! Right in the face. Now, great technique, poor timing, poor choice of person to hit. So what we do is I took Jet, and I'm, I have to, I'm really working on not being angry. I go, Jet, that was a bad choice. I need you to go spend some time and think about that. And I got Alexa to set a timer, which is gold, by the way, because I always forget whenever I send my kids up to their room, it's been like hours, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you can come out. Anyway, so Alexa does the timer, and so, uh, so Jet goes to the room, and he's in there. And you know, for a kid, 10 minutes feels like forever. In fact, I remember whenever my mom would send me to my room, I remember counting out loud saying, well, I wouldn't use number. I'd say forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it was sort of like this fun moment. I was living in eternity. I was like, look, see, 
this is undeserved. Look at all this punishment. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I might as well eat dirt. All right. And so that's what happens. And that was what was happening to the, to the nation. And they kind of forgot that God sent them there. And he's not sending them there for their worse. He's sending them there for their betterment, for their good. And that's exactly what I was doing with Jet, to teach him that he has to love his daddy and obey him and love his brother, not right cross him. Okay. And so we, we wrap our head around that. We understand that. And so th- but this can feel like this, that, that God's not out for our good. And especially when everything is chaos and there's social injustice and everything's so unfair, how could God be in this for our good? But God is always working for two things, his glory and our good. Okay. Verse five, watch this. Build houses and live in them. To which, how long does it take to build a house? Do I have any house, anybody building a house recently? Wanting to build a house? It takes forever. Especially if you get the plans back and they don't work out and you got to redo it. So what he's saying is don't rent, buy. And that's not like a, I'm not giving you like a, an educated thing of what you need to be doing with your money, but he's saying like, you are not here short term. A 10 month lease isn't going to cut it. You need to build houses. You're going to be here for a while. Because the tendency of the people was like, we're gonna be, listen, this whole Babylonian, I mean, there's no way they want to keep us for that long. Like, I mean, let's just rent. I mean, it's way easier. I mean, it takes so much less time. But he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. And if you have a garden like mine, it takes several iterations of planting the garden to get produce because it's just not working out. The zucchini is not having it. And corn, I don't even, I think we're probably out of season for the things actually to harvest, but whatever. So take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they, are, they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. How many times have you heard someone, I just can't have kids in this day and age because it's so dark and evil and awful. I just can't even imagine it. Just so bad, so bad. As if God isn't in control. I, I think at some point we've got to wrap our head around that God is sovereign here. And he's saying, listen, it's, you're, you're in a foreign nation. Yes, the foreign king is more sadistic and more evil than anyone you've ever imagined. I could tell you about that, uh, about how evil and sadistic, but it's embarrassing even to say the words of the things that Nebuchadnezzar would do to people on stage. It's disgusting and gross and weird. But that's the way he would inflict pain and his power on people was through a lot of horrific evil. And he's saying, hey, go live there. Raise your kids there. And then look at this. Don't decrease, increase. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. On behalf of this dark, evil king, look up the stuff he did on Google. It will just shock your mind. Maybe don't do it. Just trust me. He's bad. Pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Key word here, welfare. You see it three times. Guess what word that actually is that you know? Probably one of the few Hebrew words you know. Come on. Somebody knows this word. Shalom. Shalom. But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. That's peace. That's peace financially. That's peace um, spiritually. That's a sense of wholeness. It's a sense of everything being okay. Everything being all right. But no, no, no. 
Seek the shalom of your enemy that just captured you, took you, stripped you away from your home, that left your, your house in rubble. Seek the shalom of that guy's city. Do you see how hard that was? You see the amount of, like this message, they're like, I hate you, Jeremiah. Like, you know, like that is what's coming across. These are patriots. These are people who are willing to die. These, these, are, these were people that were really hardcore about being Jewish. And yet God says that if you seek the shalom of the city, you're going to have shalom, welfare. So God gave shalom to his people through their bringing shalom to the city. Okay, so this is where we're going to talk about politics because if you bring the shalom to the city, that means you're going to bring peace. You're going to bring greatness. You're, going to bring, you're looking to make it great. And now listen, on both sides, you know, on both sides when I talk about, we got our, our people that are, are red people and we got our blue people, okay? Red and blue. And you've got red people who believe in Jesus, died on the cross, rose to the dead, and they, uh, because of their faith in Jesus, they vote red. And they're very excited about certain subjects like um, abortion. And they're very, very excited about issues like personal responsibility. And they're very excited about, uh, very passionate about issues that are very, very important to them. And then on this side, there are people that say, I'm Christian, and so therefore I vote Democrat or blue. And so because of that, that means I'm very concerned about the marginalized. I'm very concerned about those people who have less and that those who have greater should be giving, redistributing to those who have less. And they feel convicted by that. And they vote like that. And those are all great things. Let me, tr- let me try and explain to you why. Because I don't know if you guys realize this, but when you talk about bringing shalom to the city, um, what you're talking about is taking all the things you're good at and putting them to work. And, you, and what happens is when people don't put things to work the way you thought, you get sort of heated, right? Th- this is what causes you know, Thanksgiving dinners to be ruined because someone's like, you don't even, you're ruining our country. All right, yeah, all that. Now, listen. When I was in the military, this, this is where I'm going to, this will come full circle on a point. Trust me, I'm going to a military story, but hang with me. When I was in the military, um, I was a decent officer. I would, you know, there's a couple things you had to do. Work out and follow orders. If you did that, you're pretty much good. You have to give orders, but they're basically just passing on the orders you were given and then making sure people followed through. And how you did that might make you a jerk or make you a really great guy, but, or a great leader, but really that's what you did. And there would be guys who would get fired up about which piece of training ground they got for land. Oh, you gave me the worst land ever. How can my soldiers ever trade for combat in that piece of property over there? And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, the land was divided up like, you know, the military has acres and acres of land. And so like L5 would be like one place then that would have really great to practice snooping and pooping. And uh, there's another, you know, B7 was a great piece of land to practice ambushes, right? Like it just didn't, but you could do it anywhere, but there'd be some like, the guys were really fired up and they're like, listen, soldiers are going to die if I don't get that piece of land, if we don't get that range on this day. And I'd be like, and honestly, I was like, man, I, I just don't care about that stuff. Like I sort of trust the system. I was kind of guy like, um, you know, where are we training? Sounds good. And I would not whine about it. I wouldn't cry about it, which is probably why everyone loved me. I just didn't. And honestly, people were like, why aren't you so more? And I just, and we have, and especially when you had bad leadership, oh my gosh. 
guys would lose their ever-living mind. I'm like, who cares? I mean, you know, he's an idiot, but I mean, so what? And I realized at some point I didn't have a calling for the military. I love the military. I love soldiers. I love, I love doing great things, serving my country. I love that. But I didn't find out that I actually was an intense person. I didn't know. Okay, I know some of you are like, what? No, I did not know I was an intense person because I didn't care about anything until I became a pastor. And then all of a sudden, I cared about everything. I care right now that there, the little, one of these little things is in every seat about, you know, five feet in front of you or six feet in front of you or whatever. I care about the music. I care about racial diversity on the stage. I care about um, uh, the way that the word is preached, that you have expositional preaching, that there is a, that I'm teaching you to read the Bible as well as teach you to uh, be inspired. So it's informational, inspirational, uh, and then transformational is what my hope is. Like, I really care about all that. The seats are set up in a certain way because I care. The, the uh, we have shirts and stuff. We have stupid masks with our logo on it because I care about that stuff. All right, I care about every aspect of this. We have a bumper, all right, that takes hours and hours to create. When you only see it for thirty seconds, but it means a lot to me. Okay, I care about that. I'm kind of intense. See, I didn't know I was intense until I became a pastor. All the army, th- I'm like, okay, bumper, great. I didn't even notice there. Uh, you didn't even notice that. Pro- the, the fact that there's stickers on, we have three giving boxes right now. You probably didn't even know we have three giving boxes because I wanted to have one at every door and have a label on it because the, the little thing that was like a screen thing in the back that people didn't know was there ever. So it was like, and I had people ask me, where do we give? And I'd be like, right there. Like the reality is like every aspect of things I sort of care about. And when I got into ministry, I, for the first time, I felt good when I got, I, I got in a fight. I like stuck my chest out and got all into something. I was like, hmm, because I cared about Trinity and I cared about uh, Jesus dying on the cross, being raised from the dead. And that was like the benchmark of our faith. But I did not know about what I cared about until I was in it. And all the stuff of the military, I could tell war stories all day long, but it did not move my soul like Jesus does. Now, and that's why I'm in ministry, right? That's why I'm in ministry. I care about every... I love every aspect of church, every single aspect. Okay. Now, some of us love every aspect of the political system, and God has wired you that way. And what's weird is some of you might be red, and God has wired you red. And some of you might be wired blue. And I don't understand how God could do that, other than the fact that he is a king, and he does what he wants to do. Now watch. So what that means is all your passion, all of your looking out for the marginalized, all the way that you want to see people take responsibility for themselves and take a hand up as opposed to a hand out, as all the things that you want to make sure that no one is left behind and that everybody has like an equal opportunity, an almost equal like lifestyle, okay? Okay? And you can take that God-givenness and surround it in Scripture because that's where really it comes from. And you say, and that's where you proclaim. And so you say life matters. And you say marginalized people matter. Do you see that? And then when these people get together and they're Christian, they don't go. (laughs) They love each other. It's like a happy little purple moment. And what I would love for you guys to see is that 
That's what makes us different. We don't fight like the rest of the world fights. We don't get angry like the rest of the world. You know why? Because God is sovereign. Because even if we go with your route, which I think is completely dumb, it's going to be okay because God's still in control. Like, no one took him off the throne. You can't take Jesus off the throne. Do you know that? There's nothing, no one could take Jesus off the throne, even if we have the worst government ever, even if you live in a tyrannical place where the king is sadistic, murdering jerk, and that he has done awful things and abused people all over the globe, and he's in charge, you're still okay. And that was the message that Jeremiah had for his people. And that's the message that Jesus has for us. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I think that the struggle, though, is this. Because if what you, what you might say, it's like, Chris, Chris, listen, I really appreciate what you said about that. Like, that's so sweet and so utopian that we're all just going to get along and be happy purple people. <laughs> but the reality, okay, the reality is, um, what they want to do is going to destroy our country. And what they want to do is going to send our country, we're going to lose it all. And you know what that is? That's fear. That's fear. And so here's, here, and listen, th- you guys know this. We love red. Yes, we do. We love red more than you. We love blue. Yes, we do. Okay, all, all they want to do is they kind of rally the team. And the way you rally the team is you inspire fear. And you say stuff like, it's all going to be over. Everything's going to end. Uh, listen, you were here, I don't know if, well, you existed in 20, uh, or 2008. Do you remember 2008? If, if Barack Obama gets elected, it's going to be over. And then somehow we survived eight years. I don't even know how we did it. Like, don't even know how that happened. Like, I somehow ended up on the other side. And then... President Trump got elected. And, and then, the, the, in fact, 2016 was a funny year. Uh, well, yes, it was very funny. Uh, so I had on the day that uh, Trump got, or the Sunday following the Trump's election was like, you know, like come from behind victory. It was just like sports. And um, I had somebody come up to me and said, mm, you know, um, I just am so moved. God has given us the gift of Donald Trump. And I was like, God chose him to be our president. You know, I was like, that's very true. All right. And then he goes, this is just God's blessing on our life. Okay. Now, same day, I get home uh, from church and um, somebody that was this said, how come there was no mourning and weeping at our church? We should be weeping. It's over. We need to be crying out uh, to God to spare us because our whole world is going about to be thrown in the toilet. And um, eventually both those people left our church, actually. Um, so, so there you go. So what happened is, is that there's this fear thing working in us because people are so afraid. And you know what's so weird? Because you're like, that's just today. No, it was back then too. Look at this. Jeremiah 29, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he has to put a, says the Lord, the God of it, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't let them deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. 
for it is a lie. What? The people would lie? Huh. You mean things haven't changed in 2,700 years? I thought if we just went back to the Bible days, everything would be great. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, let me explain what was going on. In this day and age, Jeremiah, remember, he's back in Jerusalem, free guy, living life. Uh, And he's sending a text message on a big scroll. But he's having to compete with a lot of the way you got your news back in the day, you'd have like town heralds. You know, you've ever heard of this? So you have a public square and, and you pay an orator. There's no, like nothing has literally changed. A benefactor would pay a good talker to stand up and give the news of the day. And would it be biased? Of course it would, based upon who was paying him. Is anybody like, what? You mean that? Ha-? Of course, it's human nature. Nothing has changed. All right. So he gets up there and he would say like, <clears throat> let me get my cue card. Okay. Listen, everything's going to be A-OK. We're gonna, this, this, um, this Babylonian exile isn't going to last. It's not going to last. Don't you worry. In fact, get your weapons ready, everybody. We're going to revolt and kick some serious Babylonian booty. It is time for us to take our country back. Okay? And then, and then you had other people there going like, listen, it's just over. Everything's bad. It's all over. Just spare our heads. We should just all just end it now. This is just awful. All right. And and then you have Jeremiah kind of going like, listen, guys, listen, listen. You're going to have lots of people telling you lots of stuff, but trust me, it's going to be 70 years on the dot. And the Babylonian empire is going to be a full set. Like, listen, build your houses and take, enjoy it. Now, listen, he might be a sadistic jerk, but he actually has favor on you because God made him have favor on you. Isn't that great news for you? So go and enjoy your life, build your houses, do your thing, and live your life. Don't let anyone deceive you and start a revolt and thinking that that's it because that's not the way to go. Now watch. See, God's people subscribe to God's feed to seek the shalom of the city. And this is, this is what I mean by this because people will inspire all types of fear. Because the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. Fear builds up walls, and that's why we hate each other, because we're like, you're on the other side of my fence, and I don't like you. Now, watch. I literally got two messages this week from, from <laughs> this is great. Here's this message. <clears throat> it's actually from the CEO of Expensify. I'm not sure how he got my email, but he did. Uh, I know you don't want to hear this from me, and I guarantee I don't want to say it but we're facing an unprecedented attack on the foundations of democracy itself. If you are a U.S. citizen, anything less than a vote for Biden is a vote against democracy. All right, whoops, missed. Okay, and then, same week, I got a text, and it said this. (laughs) This is awesome. Are you ignoring us, Christopher? That was a little bit creepy. The critical deadline is tonight. If the Dems win four seats, they take the Senate. Only you can stop them. Click this link, donate now. Uh, Listen, what is that? It's peddling fear. Because if I can make you think that the right government is going to solve all your problems... If I can make you think that your hope is in some candidate 
or some personality or some platform, then I can get you off of this. And remember, our enemy isn't flesh and blood. That's why we don't, listen, our enemy isn't the other party. Our enemy is the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in this present age. And sometimes, watch this, watch this. People get used all the time. And they don't even know they're just a tool. And remember, our hope is that the church would be a conscience of the nation, not a tool for someone's agenda. Because I want, and remember there were several years ago, man, people criticized um, uh, Rick Warren for doing the inauguration speech of, uh, of Barack Obama. You guys remember that? How dare you do that? And I'm like, and I, even then I was like, huh, that's weird. Like, what, a guy that loves Jesus, you don't want him to have influence on a guy that might not. Like, I know where Rick Warren stands with Jesus. I don't know. I shoot, don't know where Barack Obama stands. All I know is that he's the president, and I, you can't say he's not my president because that doesn't literally make any sense. And so what has to happen there is that I would want to have one of the guys that loves Jesus a whole bunch to have some sort of influence and would be a conscience for Barack Obama in the same way. When people go like, you're just, just saying whatever... Donald Trump wants you to say, and you're. St- I want Christians right next to the president all the time, uh, especially one that's not saved, or like doesn't even come close to the realm of Jesus. Right? I want that. I mean, I want as many Christians as close to him as possible. So, so that has to be where we go. Okay. Now, listen. Now here's the part. This is why I need you to see this because this is where your anger. Because remember, you, you're you're working for the good of the shalom of the city, and you're you're pressing your position, which is what you should do, what God has called you to do. Do not back down from that. But your hope isn't in your position winning. Your hope is in Jesus, and this is what happens to us. You've said this. I just don't understand how they could ever fill in the blank. Those people, how could they? And one of my favorite um, um, verses, obviously, it's these people too, right? How could they do that? How could they, don't they understand? He who answers before listening is a fool in his folly. That's Proverbs 18, 13. So what you're saying is, I don't want to understand their position. I don't want to have a conversation. I don't want to love anyone different than me. Because you know what? It's too hard. And they're too ah, sadistic, evil, maniacal. And you then give them over to the enemy. Why are we giving them over to the enemy? Aren't we supposed to win their soul for Jesus? Isn't that our mission? Remember, the mission as a church, the church doesn't have a mission to get our political agendas known. Now we've got a mission to save souls and we're like the lighthouse for a dark world that's like in chaotic waters and we're the only thing that doesn't move because we're on the shore on the rock built on the rock, not on the sand. And that becomes our hope and that's why we proclaim it with such vigor. And this is the other thing, God's sovereign hand, Proverbs 21.1, this is God's feed, ready for God's feed. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is in control of the president. He's bigger than the president. He's in control of the Speaker of the House. He's bigger than even her. 
He's, he's bigger than Mitch McConnell. He's bigger than anything that you could ever hope for or put your hope in. And he's bigger than the entire political process. One day, you're going to look back on this election. It's going to feel like your fifth grade class president moment where you cried because you lost or you got so excited because you won. And all your friends were high-fiving you. All your friends were like, I can't believe it. And it will have zero effect on your life because you're going to be with Jesus. Do you understand that? So your hope isn't in blue or red. That doesn't mean we don't participate fully in the voting process and we don't take our part to be politically active. We do. But the thing that marks us, because this is what God's word says of us, Jesus said with his disciples, this is how everyone's going to know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And, and, and you know what? And you know what's funny? You know what's funny? I think, just as Christians, we do better with lost people than church people. Here's how I, like, listen, I have a um, Jewish, atheist, Planned Parenthood friend, right? (laughs) We're doing Christmas cookies together, okay? And we all know we're on opposite sides of the spectrum. But what happens when I love her right where she's at, and the walls come down of like, you crazy Christians with your agendas and boycotting and all the things you're against, that stuff comes down. And says, wow, I respect you. I don't know why, I, I want to learn from you and why you believe what you do and why you act like you do and why you vote like you do. If I can have that conversation with her, I mean, like opposite ends of the spectrum, I think we should be able to have that conversation and not end up ready to come to throwing right crosses and need to go to our room for 10 minutes. Because my heart for you is that we would display this love, that we would be so different from the rest of the world because here our hope isn't in the world. Remember Jesus said this, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is our hope. And so this is my hope and my cry for you is that you would simply seek the shalom of the city. And that means not to quit politically or civically. That means you get involved. That means you debate. That means you articulate what you believe and maybe even research as opposed to just parroting what somebody else you heard said. And so my heart, that's my heart. And the reason why we want to do that is because Jesus sought our shalom. Did you guys know that when Jesus went to the cross, that he, before he went to the cross, he took bread and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. And what this represents, which is really neat, is that our soul feeds on Jesus like our body feeds on this bread. And we trust Jesus for our bread, not the government. We trust him for all our provision, all that is good. And so, listen, that is, that is our heart's cry. Jesus, you're my sustenance and my soul lives off you. In the same night, he took the cup. This is my blood that was shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Hold on, everyone's wanting to take communion already. Slow down, slow down. Come on, come on now. (laughs) 
So this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And the re- when we take it, when we drink it, this is God saying to us, um, you're in control. You're the God of the universe. You are all powerful. And you saved me. And the thing that I want us to do here, just is, um, we're online as well. You're taking communion with us. I want us to take a, t- a moment here just to, just as some silent reflection, if there's this part of us that's made our politics Jesus, if our God has somehow turned from trusting in the Savior of the world to this guy's got to win or else, doom and the doom of democracy. Shoot, even if democracy goes away, we're still okay because our king is still on the throne. Because his strategy, here's what's so awesome about Jesus. His strategy wasn't to win it. He didn't come to earth, watch, as a military conquering power with miracle working power. He could have gone like, you bow, and everyone bow. They didn't. He said, come and kill me. Take your full anger. Come and bring it because I love you that much to allow you to even take my own life. Because in my life being lost, your salvation is found. And that's Jesus. He lost so that we could win. Now, this morning, if you're not a Christian, my hope is that you take your faith from whatever political agenda, the ability to hold the anxiety, the control. If this thing all goes out the way it should, I'll be all right. And if you haven't put your trust into Jesus, I pray that you would do that this morning. All right, the way that you can do that is just email me. Text me, the number on the screen we've had up all day, or just email prayer at wellsbranchchurch.com and say, here's, I want to trust Jesus right now. And if you've been a Christian for a while and things have gotten really hard, and all in the chaos, you sort of lost your way, and you've gotten really angry at some other Christians on social media, you're like, how dare you? I, I want you just to slow down. Pray. Confess that you got wrapped up in trying to control other people. And not let Jesus be king. And maybe you need to go and apologize to them and repent before the Lord. And say, God, I want you. So we're going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take 30 seconds to repent. And then we're going to take communion together. Can you guys do that? Father, thank you for your word. I'm just so grateful for this power that you've put on display. That Jesus, you are working all things to be made new. And so God, as we enter into a world of uh, seemingly political chaos, God, would you do something incredible? Would our hearts be made totally new, Jesus? Would you work in and through us? Would you help us to wrap our head around the truth of your gospel and the hope that's in our heart? Lord, I'm praying for somebody who doesn't know you just to take their trust off themselves off of being in control and all that anxiousness, all that anxiety, all that stuff that they keep coming back to and they just say, you, Jesus, are it. And Father, for those of us that have chosen you and have followed hard after you, would you make known to us once again that you're sovereign and that no matter what happens, our hope isn't in a president. Our hope is in our king. And so, Lord, we remember that and we're just gonna take some time, God, to repent from just the vitriol, the anger, the frustration at people who are not our enemies. And you'd help us to get right, to remind us who our enemy is and where the victory lies. We have great hope in you. Thank you for being sovereign. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
30 seconds to confess before God.